Welcome to episode 184, When Therapy Stalls, How to Respond When Progress is Missing, featuring Elizabeth Haney, Licensed Professional Counselor. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. The topic of this presentation is when therapy stalls, how to respond when progress goes missing. Before we dive into the topic and explore different aspects of what happens when therapy stalls and how to respond to it, let me take just a few moments to introduce myself. My name is Elizabeth Haney. I'm in clinical practice in Asheville, North Carolina. I work with adults. Um, my practice is fairly general, although I do a lot of work with couples, and I do a fair bit of work with combat veterans. Um, another aspect of my clinical work is I do a, an awful lot of teaching, training, and case consultation with other therapists. I have a long background in working in grad programs where I both taught clinical classes and was an internship supervisor. And I just really developed a passion for supporting other therapists to be highly effective in the work that they do. In fact, I like to say that I work at the crossroads of technique and passion. So I really enjoy supporting therapists to be both technically highly effective and passionately engaged in their work. I think that's a wonderful combination. Um, one of the uh, outgrowths of that interest for me is I uh, created a whole library of workshops that I videotaped, and those are available online. I'm going to give you my website, which is HaneyConsulting.net. Let me spell it for you because the name's a little different than it sounds. It's H-E-A-N-E-Y consulting.net. And you want to be sure and put .net and not .com. So you can take a look there and see there's a, a section of that website that is called clinical trainings. And like I said, there's a wide variety of videotaped workshops that you can um, work through to develop your skills and your practice. So let's focus again on when therapy stalls. What we're going to be talking about in this presentation, uh, let me just describe some of the things that I think of as this is therapy stalling. Um, you might have a situation where a client just isn't making much progress and it could look like um, you're having the same kind of conversation with the client session after session. You know, there's basically no new material being offered or discussed. It might look like when a client is basically reporting on the activity and uh, people they've encountered and things they've done since the last time they saw you. So I think of that as sort of uh, they're checking in and and kind of saying, I did this and I went here and I saw so-and-so and 
Um, so they're, they're just reporting the content of their last week or two or however long it's been since they've seen you. It could also take the shape of the client offering the same kinds of stories or choices or behaviors, the same kinds of reasoning that the two of you have discussed before. Um, let's say they are, they want to be more independent from a parent, um, but they keep catering to the parent's demands and then sort of justifying it. But then again, saying they really want to be more independent. So again, they're covering the same kinds of choices and behavior even though you've discussed it maybe from several different directions. But something's just, you know, a friend of mine says the coin isn't dropping. You know, something's not happening. It could also look like the client ignoring their contribution to situations they want to discuss. And so they want to focus on the other person. They see the other person as the problem or the key to things changing or getting better. Um, they're really in some way demonstrating to you a lack of attention to their part in the process. So those are just a few different shapes it can take. Um, and there's different ways that different modalities might think about therapy stalling. So I'm just going to give you a few examples of that off the top of my head. So internal family systems or IFS might say that there's a protector part that's blocking change. And so that modality is going to head in the direction of engaging with the protector part and trying to understand more deeply what the inner dynamic is between that part and the part that wants to change, and they'll move in that direction. Um, CBT might say that there's a cognitive aspect that needs to be clarified or adjusted. You know, it, it needs to be more dialed in in order for change to start to occur. Motivational interviewing might view it as the client not yet in the right motivation for change. They're not at the right stage of change. EMDR or trauma therapies, they could see it as uh, the effect of some unresolved trauma that's having an influence. And so they're going to want to work more with that trauma and the impact of it. So here's what I want to make sure that I say. It's like all of those lenses might be very accurate. All of those are very useful lenses and all of those are very effective ways of using, of working with this. But today we're going to focus on you, the therapist and the dynamics of therapy stalling. Um, I'll certainly cover some ways to work with it, but it's more from a therapeutic lens than any particular modality. So let's say, for example, um, a really basic question then that can kind of define how we're going to, how we're going to view or look at this dynamic would be to ask yourself, who is responsible when therapy feels stalled? 
Is it you or is it your client? Very frequently when I talk about this in case consultation, the therapist feels that it's the client that's responsible for there not being more prog- progress. I can see it that way. I, I'm clear as a therapist, I really don't have control over how much progress a client makes or what's happening outside of session. But in a more subtle way or looking in a slightly different perspective, I feel like this therapist is always responsible for what's happening in the session or what's not happening. So I feel like as a therapist, I need to hold myself highly accountable for how effective the session is being. So I want to focus on my skills, my perceptions, my interventions, and make sure that I'm seeing those engender the kind of progress that I'm looking for and probably that the client is looking for as well. So what does that mean? Well, um, a few different things. It means that I very clearly track what's happening or what's not happening. So I stay very attuned. I'm watchful of what's happening in our sessions, uh, both within one session and from one session to the next to the next. So I stay awake and aware and track what's happening or not happening. And I make sure that I notice when things are stalled. Now, a lot of therapists will push the awareness away because both it's awkward and also maybe they're not sure what to do when therapy stalls. But it's absolutely critical that I pay attention to that initial perception that I don't think things are moving forward in the way that I would want or that my client would want. I want to be sure that uh, therapy isn't sort of devolving into just chatting with the client or just, you know, having a conversation about things that I want to be sure that something more deeply therapeutic is happening than that. Now, you know, I've had clients and I know other people have had clients who, you know, are very happy to have my undivided attention for that 50 minutes or hour or however long you work. And so maybe for them, that undivided attention is what they're looking for. And we'll talk later about whether or not that might be useful for me as the therapist. But um, I've had I've had folks in case consultation talk about clients who well, what I'm remembering is who have insurance policies that cover their sessions or cover most of it. Maybe there's a. copay or something. And that client is very willing to keep coming to weekly sessions, but they're not really working on anything. They just, they like the contact. They like, you know, the conversation. They like the attention, but they're actually not working on anything. And so I think when a, a therapist becomes aware of that, it's really up to the therapist to bring that up for conversation. Um, in other words, it, no matter what 
the shape of the stall is. So I've just talked about a few different ways it could show up that it feels like the therapy is stalled. I want to make sure that I address it. That might mean that I shift strategies or the framework that I'm using. I may need to kind of step back and rethink how I'm framing that case in my mind. I definitely want to look at whether I'm missing some nuance of it that I I thought I had dialed in what the case was about, but because we're not making any progress, I'm just being curious about whether or not I might have missed some aspect of it. Um, maybe I shift gears and communicate much more directly with the client. So maybe I've been a little bit laid back in my communication and there's nothing wrong with that, but maybe for the work they want to do, I need to be more direct or more directive. Um, but I want to be sure that I challenge myself to keep things engaged and keep progress happening. So in other words, I would say that as the therapist, I definitely set the standard for the level of work I'm doing with my clients, the, the effectiveness of it, the depth of it. Um, and I want to take deep responsibility for that. Like I said, I want to hold myself accountable for staying engaged and present and creative uh, with whichever client I'm working with. I also want to notice when things are stalled, if there's some new ways I want to try to get traction with a client. Because whether... It's someone who I just have a hard time getting traction with in general or whether we've gotten to a particular part of the process where it feels like it's difficult to get traction. I want to, again, look at my communication and maybe shift gears, but I definitely want to keep myself with that feeling of, of oh, I'm getting traction here. This client is really making progress. Um you know, if it's something that I can't really sort out um, or I feel like I'm, you know, I'm just I'm just not grasping what's happening. Maybe I get supervision or case consultation. Maybe I reach out to a colleague and discuss the case. I, I want to reach out and get get new ways to view it, um, new approaches. Maybe I even want to go take a workshop on the particular topic the client is wrestling with and get some new tools and some new skills. Um, so I consider it both an internal thing to hold myself accountable and an external thing, certainly getting more help or more perspective or more tools. Um, bottom line is I want to hold myself highly accountable for what's happening in the therapeutic hour. Um, you might even in a very, very basic way say that's, that's what we're paid for. You know, I'm paid not just to be good company, but to bring my skills to the forefront and address what's going on in deeper ways than a client might be able to access on their own. 
So let's just talk really briefly about an example, just so I can kind of anchor some of what I'm talking about. Let's say I'm working with a client who isn't sure whether to leave or stay in the relationship they're in. Let's say they've been in it for a period of some years, but they're really considering leaving uh, because of some unhappiness with the way the relationship dynamic is going. And they've been in therapy. They've been weighing the pros and cons of leaving for months. They've been going over this list. And when they come in, they, they begin to describe again, like, well, the, you know, I can see this, this and this about staying, but, you know, I can see this, this and this about leaving. And, uh, really the therapy has been cut become focused on the pros and cons list. But what I've noticed is that in doing that, they're not actually at this point making any progress on actually making a decision. So in other words, they're discussing the decision session after session after session, but I'm not seeing them actually make a choice. So, you know, I might want to bring attention to the repetition itself and kind of invite us to pay deeper attention to what's happening. Um, I might want to get curious about how no change might actually be serving them in some way that they're not aware of. I could certainly ask if they're satisfied With going over the pros and cons, I think that's a great move to make to engage the client with, you know, is this, is this satisfying to you? Because for all I know, perhaps they're really feeling frustrated too. Um, I want to engage with them about their level of satisfaction with what's happening. Some therapists have a hard time doing that because, you know, it can be daunting. When a client says, no, I'm not satisfied, I, you know, I don't understand why I'm coming here. I I don't feel like this is being useful at all. So first of all, I feel like they get major points for being that direct and honest about it. That's always useful. So I want to really directly engage with them about their level of satisfaction or frustration. And I want to be able to tolerate their frankness if they're not pleased with it and you know, sort of, again, engage even more deeply in what's happening and what I can do to change it. You know, another possibility is that you may need to increase intensity of what's happening, and that could be increasing the intensity of your challenges or increasing the intensity of the exchange. Um, One of my Early, early mentors used to say, sometimes it takes more heat to cook the the situation. And what he was basically saying is that we can sometimes drift into, you know, trying to keep things very comfortable for a client. And sometimes that just doesn't serve them. Sometimes I need to increase the intensity so they feel things more clearly and they maybe find a different way to respond because things are more intense. I may need to increase the intensity of my focus or my engagement 
you know, there's a lot of ways to increase intensity, but I always think that's a really valid thing to think about when therapy stalls. You could consider the, the stalling itself as a, a marker. It's, it's a flag for you to notice that you need to shift something. And I don't think that's a good or a bad thing. It's just literally a marker. It's feedback in the process that something different needs to be taking place. So I really want to pay attention when I have that perception that therapy feels stalled because I feel like the process itself is giving me some incredibly valuable feedback. Again, therapists sometimes tend to turn away from that because, you know, they're not sure what to do or it feels awkward or they're disappointed or something. You know, their anxiety goes up when they let themselves notice that the therapy feels like it's not making any progress. But I look at it as a really, really useful and important part of the process that I definitely want to pay attention to. You could be looking at, um, with the, with the client who's, let's just stick with the example I gave a minute ago, the client who's, you know, listing pros and cons session after session and not really getting any closer to making a choice about staying or leaving. You could take a look at, uh, whether or not they might be scared to make a change. And so going over the list is their way of avoiding that fear. Um, maybe getting close to making a choice is even terrifying. So they do want to make a choice, but they are not consciously aware of or don't know how to deal with that terror. So if I start engaging about the fact that it's stalled, that may be one of the things I want to you know, take a look at. I also could look at, do they want to leave the relationship, but something feels unfinished for them? And what would it take to complete it? Um, do they feel afraid to stay? Do they, do they have some issues with making a commitment or do they f- feel afraid that if they stay, some of their needs are going to be unmet or is there some sort of risk in front of them in terms of staying that they're they're kind of balking at? Um, so all of that, all of that is fuel for conversation and for looking more deeply at what might be happening for the client. But here's the thing. This is the main point in using that example. Them going over the pros and cons list, while I may be very engaged about that and might really, you know, be thinking about it, it doesn't get to these deeper aspects. They may even tend to position themselves as fairly passive. And so they don't really take responsibility for their dissatisfaction with the dynamic they're in. And so then we want to talk about the passivity. Again, all of that is outside the realm of listing pros and cons. And the pros and cons discussion may be the therapist, I'm sorry, (laughs) the client's way of avoiding these deeper pieces. Um, Maybe even the client can't come up 
with those deeper aspects. Their, their, their self-awareness is not yet engaged enough that they see that they're avoiding these other things. Maybe that, that client absolutely and sincerely believes that going over the pros and cons list is going to get them to a choice, right? So again, that's where it's absolutely critical that I, as the therapist, step in and get that process more deeply engaged. Um, let's, let's back up for just a second. You know, I spoke earlier about a client who comes in and just reports on the week's act- activities and tells me where they've been and who they were with and who they saw and all those kinds of things. And I have to entertain the possibility that maybe the client genuinely thinks that that's what therapy is, that they're meant to come in and, you know, tell their story, and you're the one that's going to glean uh, some sort of therapeutic work out of that. I've had many clients start in that place, and the truth is um, you you can work from that perspective that they come in and tell you about their week and you choose, you know, the things to focus on. I tend to like to somehow engage the client with choosing the focus or the topic or the concern that they want to talk about because I see it as part of the way that they're going to learn how to speak up for what they need and that if I choose the topic or the focus, I'm sort of taking that possibility away from them. So I want them to learn how to say, I need to focus on this or I need your help with that, specifically so that they learn how to ask for what they need and also so they that they develop a kind of self-awareness that lets them grapple with and know what they need to focus on. That to me is part of therapeutic growth as well. It's not just the topic itself, but it's a client learning to be self-reflective in that way and sort of step forward in that way. So if I let them come in and talk about the week or if they come in and talk about the week and then I choose the focus, I just feel like I miss that possibility for them of them getting to learn how to how to choose those kinds of things for themselves. And I think that's really, really important. Um, I want in that way of working, I want to help them develop the awareness of the deeper aspects of their process or their situation. So I want to be asking them questions and engaging with them in a way that I don't fill in that blank for them, but I really help them learn how to fill in that blank for themselves. Here's what I want to work on. Here's the thing that concerns me. Here's the thing I really need your help with. In fact, you know, folks that work with me know that I often start a session by saying, what would you like to work on? Or what would you like to focus on? So that right from the start, I'm both handing that to them and also asking a fairly focused question rather than just, how's it going? Um, you could also engage with your client in terms of the fact that it feels stalled. 
Um, I would want to know when I think about engaging a client in the question about uh, therapy feeling stalled, I want to ask them, do they notice it? And here's the way that I think that through. So if they say no, they they weren't noticing that. I really want to invite the two of us to be curious about why were they not noticing that? So that's an interesting question. Like, how was it that they didn't notice that we're not engaging more deeply? It could be a positive reason or a negative reason. It doesn't really matter to me. Again, I'm just trying to open up some new awareness for them and a new ability to track themselves. So if the therapy was stalled, but they said they didn't really notice it, it's just, to me, that's a really interesting thing to explore with them. If they noticed it, if they say, yeah, I was, I was kind of noticing that it didn't seem like we were, not much was happening. I want to ask them, why are they not challenged, challenging themselves to push into a deeper process? Now, perfectly fair for them to say, I don't know how. That's very, very valid. But I also want to explore it because I want to know, are there other reasons that they didn't keep themselves more deeply engaged to make sure they felt like they were making progress? Is it passivity? Is it sort of defaulting to, I'm the expert, so I'm the one that's going to do that for them? Is it avoidance in some way? Um, so if I never bring it up directly to the client, I miss all that information that might be really, really fertile ground for new awareness. Of course, I also want to ask, is the lack of progress okay with them? And here's the thing. I've had clients say, yeah, it's really okay. I'm, I'm okay with just coming in here and, you know, talking about my week or whatever. So I've, I've had clients occasionally say, yes, uh, the lack of real progress is all right with them. But here's the thing. Even if it's okay for them, is it okay for you? So in other words, do you want to support or participate in that lack of progress? Up to you. But I think it's really important that you ask yourself that directly. So let's say the client is saying, yeah, it's okay. I mean, I don't mind coming in here and just telling you what's been going on. Uh, I like talking to you and you, you know, you listen well and there's not really anybody else I talk to. So yeah, that's okay with me. So again, to me, the next question is, is it okay with you, the therapist? Are you okay with basically listening to stories or their report for the week? And I mean, really the bottom line is, does that have integrity for you as a therapist? You know, does it does it work for you to do that? Um, I kind of feel like, you know, they're paying me for my expertise and my skills. They're paying me to help them deepen their experience of themselves and, you know, create new patterns or challenge themselves in new ways. I kind of feel like that's my assignment 
So um, I'm not sure it would work for me for them to want to just come in and report things or talk or something like that. Um, but that it's something for you to consider very directly. Um, the other possibility in terms of just engaging with a client when therapy feels stalled is to address it more directly in terms of the process of it. So it might be saying something like, it seems there's more to address regarding X situation or Y concerns. There's more to address. And I'm wondering how you feel about focusing on that more directly. So you're basically kind of inviting them to cross that threshold into deeper work and 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 kind of asking them how would it feel if we focused more directly on these other aspects. So with the client who's thinking about leaving the relationship, you know, to say something like, you know, it seems to me that there's more to that choice for you than the pros and cons. And I'm wondering if you might be willing to take a deeper, deeper look at what the challenges are for you in actually making the decision so that I'm pointing to it as directly as possible. Here's the thing. This is, this is sort of the, uh, I don't know, the bullet point of this presentation or the, uh, the bottom line of the presentation. Uh, the very best way to move out of a therapy process that seems stalled or where progress is not being made is for you to deepen your work. That will always get the process moving in some different or new or deeper direction. So I'm speaking to something that actually puts pressure on you, right? It it's up to you to figure out how to deepen the work you're doing with that client. So you're covering ground over and over. Or they're keeping things superficial or you're engaging with them in a very pleasant but kind of a surface level way. And I think it's really crucial to ask yourself, are there ways I can deepen what's happening here? The, can I deepen the process? Can I deepen my work and what I'm bringing to this? So I'm going to go through some possible ways to do that, maybe four or five different ways that you can actually focus on deepening your work in order to address a lack of progress. So one of those is to offer stronger challenges to the way the client processes things or the way the client frames them. So in other words, we're not going to be talking about the thing itself, whatever that thing is that they want to talk about. We're going to be looking at the way they try to process things. And I'm going to be challenging that more strongly. It just I just gave you an example of it where I'm going to challenge the client about using a pros and cons list in trying to make the decision about leaving the relationship because it's clearly not helping them make that decision. So I'm going to challenge that client more strongly about trying to use that as the way they're going to get to a decision. 
And I'm going to say I think you need to engage with that choice in a, in a very dif- different way. And maybe even before this next session begins, I have to come up with some other ways for them to approach that. But that's what I want to focus on. Um, here's the thing. As you, as you deepen your work with them and you challenge them more strongly to move deeper, they're going to learn how to challenge themselves more deeply and move deeper on their own, which I think is always a win for clients. You know, as you, hold them more accountable for the level of focus or progress or attention that they're bringing. I think that's the way that they learn how to hold themselves more accountable. And again, I think that's always a very useful process for a client. So for example, I, I'm just going to throw out examples here to try to illustrate some of these things that I'm talking about. I might say to the client something like, uh, listen, you're saying very clearly that it's important to you to change jobs. And you've been saying that for a while, but I'm not seeing you put in applications or setting up interviews. So I'm, I'm just wondering what's happening there. So I'm interrupting their process of coming in to talk about how important it is to change jobs. And I'm offering a stronger, deeper challenge. What's going on here, right? How come I'm not seeing you actually move to doing something? And I sometimes say to clients, it doesn't matter to me that you're not doing it, but I think it's impacting your relationship with yourself. So I think it's important that we engage with that. Now, Another possibility for deepening my work when therapy feels stalled is to be really thoughtful about what isn't getting faced deeply enough. There's, to me, there's always an aspect of the client's story or their process that needs to be faced more deeply. And if it's faced more deeply, the process will move ahead. Therapy will unstall. <laughs> um, maybe you've covered the topic in these ways that we've talked about with these examples, but there's nuances in the situations that aren't getting addressed. So I want to scan for those. I want to be really curious. And another way of thinking about this is, is there is there a larger context for me to work with them on regarding the way they're trying to make a decision? In other words, we don't need to keep talking about this one decision. It might be really useful to talk with them about how they make decisions. And uh, I'm just trying to think of some examples with that. So maybe they need to work on having a greater tolerance for the risk of failure, right? So that's not so much about making a decision. That's helping themselves tolerate they they might fail if they make a choice. And maybe they're balking. And they're not moving ahead because, you know, maybe I'll fail. Maybe they need to communicate much more clearly or directly with someone about something, and they're afraid of the reaction. So they talk, 
for a long time about how they're going to bring this topic up or, or challenge the person or engage with them or be more honest or something. But what we really need to be talking about is their fear of the response they're going to get. I may also want to look at their level of maturity in facing losses and gains with any decision, you know. That to me is an emotional maturity piece where when you make a decision, typically there's some gains, but there's also some loss. You know, a friend of mine used to say very, in a really simplistic way, if you turn left, you miss whatever is going to happen when you turn right. And as great as left may be, you are missing whatever's down the road to the right. And so maybe... I in looking for a larger context that might be useful. Maybe I want to, you know, engage with the client about facing that whole issue of loss and gain, no matter what they decide. Um, sticking with how to look at larger context here. Maybe I'm going to engage with them about the the learned patterns of avoidance they have. And again, that's not just about this decision. That's a way, whatever their way is, uh, is of avoiding movement or progress or challenge. Um, I could also just help them take a look at the lack of skills that they were taught growing up with, you know, facing challenges or facing people's reactions or taking risks. They really may not have ever gotten any real help with how to do that. And so for them, it's a mystery. And as much as they know they need to change something, they don't know how to face what that change is going to bring with it. You see? So it may not be making a decision. It may just be changing their behavior or changing their attitude or changing their patterns. And you know, they just don't know how to do that. I work with a lot of folks who, because I work a lot with couples, you know, we're asked to change ourselves quite a bit in relationship. We're confronted with all the things we don't know in terms of letting someone close or letting ourselves be seen. And so, of course, there's a lot of work there with family of origins or upbringings where patterns that aren't very helpful were learned. So those are, again, those are the bigger context for working with why a client might be a bit stalled in their process. You know, another lens that I use sometimes when therapy is stalled or someone is not moving forward is something that uh, David Snarsh used to call the two-choice dilemma. And it's when someone faces... A dilemma, I'm either going to speak up or I'm going to keep quiet. I'm going to, I don't know, move to Iowa or I'm not. Um, and sometimes when those choices feel really intense for the client, they'll stall and they'll be looking for a third choice. They want to figure out a way around it. So they're not in that tension of I'm either going to do this or that. Um, I've seen that so frequently. Actually, I've seen people stall on choices for months or even years because they really, really want to find a third choice. And realistically, there just isn't one. This is an either or choice. 
Um, I remember a active duty service member I was working with and he really, gosh, he was facing such a tough choice where he was really happy in the military. He felt like it was kind of a calling for him and, you know, it was what he was meant to do. He was married and his wife had come to a place of deciding that she didn't want to live the military life anymore. So if, excuse me, if he was going to stay in the military, she didn't want to be married anymore. So here's this guy trying to decide, does he leave the military, which is sort of what he's always wanted to do and it's very fulfilling for him, or does he leave the military and stay married? Because he knows if he chooses the military, he's going to be facing a divorce. You know, rather than a win-win situation, that was almost a lose-lose situation. And sometimes those two-choice dilemmas, they do feel like a lose-lose situation. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage and maturity to really call ourselves into making a decision and making a choice. Um, you know, in all of this uh, thinking and talking about the client not making changes or not making progress, I just want to pause for a second and be really clear. It may be true that the client isn't ready to make changes. And I think that's absolutely perfectly fine, right? If in fact in the conversation as I, you know, as I'm challenging them more and I'm addressing the fact that it's stalled, if we get to a place where the client says, I'm just not ready or I just can't, um, that's absolutely fine with me. I am not in any position where I need the client to make some choice in my timetable. Um, but here's the thing. I want to make sure that that choice of not not making a change is very, very conscious. I don't want it to be out of default or avoidance. So I want to bring it up directly with the client so they can say clearly, I just don't want to make that decision or I don't want to change how I talk to my mom or my partner. Um, again, I'm, I'm perfectly fine to support that. I just want them to be able to be in touch with that choice in a very clear, conscious way. So it's important to honor their process, um, but speak to it very directly. Now, let's talk. We've been talking mostly about your client and how to address things on their side of the dynamic. So we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about how to address what's going on on your side of when therapy is stalled. So I'm just going to give you several ways to sort of um, engage yourself or explore what's going on for you when therapy is stalled, because certainly there's things going on on your side as well. So the very first question I would ask myself is, what am I not saying? So I feel like when therapy is stalled, there is always something I'm not saying. So I had a um, actually that same mentor, early mentor, when I was at, at my grad, grad school internship. He 
said one time, um, if you're bored in your session, there's something you're not saying because when people are being authentic and really engaged, it's never boring. So he would say, you can't blame boredom on your client. Like, oh, this client is so boring because it's actually me that's allowing that process to stay in a disengaged place because I'm not saying something that's going to make it more engaged, more authentic, more challenging, you know, more movement. So that's always my first question. What is it I'm not saying to that client? Great question. And sometimes I need to sit with that for a while. Most of the time, I kind of know right away. I'm not saying something because it's going to be awkward or it's going to be really challenging or maybe it's even going to be very painful. But the bottom line is I need to step into that question or comment or engagement. And sort of a subset of that is the next question, which is what discomfort or tension am I avoiding in myself by letting the process stall? So there's some sort of tension that's that's going to happen in me if I speak more directly or I challenge more directly, and I'm letting myself avoid it. And the third question that I might ask myself is, how am I excusing the fact that the therapy is stalled? You know, I'm explaining it to myself in some way that's kind of letting me off the hook or else it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be letting it go on. So, you know, oh, they're just not ready, or oh, they probably need to sort out those pros and cons again, or, you know, I'm excusing myself by explaining it in some way that doesn't really ask me to get reengaged or to challenge things more deeply right there in the moment. So, what I, what, where this takes me is in order for my work to deepen, I have to face the tension of taking on more responsibility for the process of the session. I have to take more responsibility. So I have to face the tension of attending to how the process is going and how it's gotten stalled or what's going on with that. So there's you know, it's easier to just let it go go on and on. But again, I don't think that's what the person's paying me for. Um, I want to look at the tension in myself of being more challenging. Maybe I like feeling pretty laid back. Maybe I really enjoy making people feel comfortable. Maybe I'm really focused on helping them feel safe or secure, but I'm dropping the part of the process that sometimes needs me to be more challenging. So I just want to look at me facing the tension of shifting gears and reengaging in a different way so that the client has more benefit. That's my goal. I want the client to definitely be getting a lot of benefit out of coming to see me. So you can see that in all of those questions towards myself, I'm really pushing my own process 
And I feel like I gain from that both personally and professionally um, because I'm I'm growing through some resistance on my part. Um, you know, someone I trained with once said, if you want to be an adequate therapist, no problem. You can do that. Sit in your chair, listen to people, be validating, fine. But he said, if you want to be a superb therapist, if you want to be a highly effective therapist, you're going to have to tolerate more tension and more pressure because when you make bigger moves, when you really encourage your clients to make bigger things happen, there's some tension that and pressure that you're going to have to tolerate. And I really liked how he framed that as a process for me to wrestle with. Again, rather than putting it on my client, it's like, oh, if I want this work to be more effective, I have to learn how to tolerate more pressure. And, you know, one of my colleagues says, you know, I when I first met him, this was years ago, we were at a talking after a meeting and I said, oh, I do a lot of relationship work. I do a lot of work with couples and I work with combat veterans. And he said, wow you must be able to tolerate tension. And I thought, yeah, I guess that's true. And it's partly because of training with these people that I've been referencing who really saw that as part of the valid work of a therapist. Okay, so we're going to shift gears just one more time. We're going to talk about goals in therapy because that's another thing that we can dial in when therapy has stalled. So the questions are, who sets the goal for your work with the client? Do you set the goal or does the client set the goal? Or or is there a collaboration? Is that done very conscientiously or you just sort of assume what the goal is? Um, do you re- revisit goals over the course of therapy? Or do you... You know, I know that most of us, you know, fill out treatment plans and there's goals in those. Do I stick with those or do I notice other goals that might involve more intensive work that are there? Um, I think our clarity about the goals of our therapeutic work is an important factor in invo- in avoiding, you know, the the feeling that progress isn't happening. And if the goals are very clear and we stay engaged with them throughout the work with the client, then we have sort of a reference point. You know, gee, you said you wanted to resolve X, Y, Z. Do you feel like we're making progress with that? Or, you know, when you came in, it seemed like this was really important, but we're spending more time on that. Do you want to shift gears on what your goal is for this work together? So I think the therapist keeping the goals, keeping track of what the goals are, even if you're not filling out a form and it's not, you know, sort of a rigid goal thing, it's just, it's a great way to talk about progress and a great way to know whether or not progress is happening in a way that's satisfying to your client as well as to yourself. Um, you know, I think sometimes the goals are un- unspoken. So, 
maybe it's really good to sort of turn a light on them and and light it up for the client. Um, it, when you feel like there's a lack of progress, it may be really important to redefine or review the goals and be really open to shifting them or anchoring more deeply in them. Um, maybe even asking yourself who is responsible for reaching the goals, you know? Again, is it you or is it the client? So that's just a few different thoughts on keeping, you know, a friend of mine calls it keeping your fingers on the pulse of the goal, you know, and she puts her hands, uh, her fingers on her wrist, you know, as if she's taking the pulse. And she says, you know, throughout her work with clients, she keeps her fingers on the pulse of the goals that they're working toward to make sure that they're really clear on what they're up to and what they're doing. The other thing that I want to toss out as we're drawing to a close here is that the the fact that therapy stalled and you're not seeing much progress in some cases could mean that it's time to draw to a close. It may not be a client avoiding something or, you know, not knowing how to move toward it. I have had it happen where a client sort of runs out of steam in terms of therapy and maybe they don't know how to bring it up that they feel finished or that they don't really have more to engage with right then. Um, so it's always a possibility. It's not the first thing I move towards, but I want to keep it in mind that sometimes it's sort of an indication that the client may feel like they've, they've, done what they can for now in therapy. Um, so, again, I want that to be a conscious conversation and decision. Um, all of these are ways for you to really look at how you evaluate progress in therapy, right? Do you Do you just hope progress will happen or do you have ways that you monitor progress throughout the therapy? Do you keep yourself very awake and engaged about progress? Um, do you and your client discuss progress in a, a kind of regular ongoing way? Uh, those are all things to think about as well in terms of therapy feeling stalled. So, it's not just um, it's not just what we talked about at the beginning of therapy. It's not just the things I put on your treatment plan. It's not just the goals that are generated by whatever uh, computer program I'm using. It's a person-to-person engagement in an ongoing way about their satisfaction with the progress they're making and my sense of that. So... I hope this presentation has given you a lot to think about. I really hope that it helps you address a lot of different aspects of what what might be going on when therapy stalls, some different ways to think about it, different ways to bring it up to your client, ways to look at yourself as part of that process, and maybe how to stay more effective, more creative, and more engaged in the work that you're doing. 
because I really feel like in staying really engaged with our work and facing these places where maybe we're stalled or something, it really builds us as therapists. And I think that's, that's always a big win. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen. Please reach out to me through my website if you have any comments or questions. My website again is HaneyConsulting.net, H-E-A-N-E-Y, Consulting.net. And uh, you can check out the videos and you can also find a way to contact me there at that website. I also have another podcast here with Clearly Clinical about how to challenge clients. So um, you can take a listen to that as well. And I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.